Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. From Connecticut Public Radio, this is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. This was supposed to be the last day of our series of interviews with Connecticut gubernatorial candidates, but we changed plans on Saturday after learning about the mass shooting inside a Pittsburgh synagogue. Today, where we live, our phone lines are open for you to call and react to this latest violent act in our country. Saturday's mass shooting was fueled by anti-Semitism, with the shooter telling police he wanted, quote, all Jews to die. He killed 11 people and injured several more. Today, he'll be in court to face 29 federal charges, including committing a hate crime. What was your reaction when you heard about what happened? Did you talk about it at your place of worship on Sunday? How are you talking about this act of hate with your friends, your family, your children? You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Is what happened in Pittsburgh an isolated incident? Or is it part of a larger trend of intolerance that's growing in this country? I want to welcome my first guest to the show. Steve Ginsburg is director of the Anti-Defamation League in the Connecticut region. Steve, welcome to where we live. Hi. Hi. Thank you. Uh, understand over the weekend, this was a statement from the ADL CEO, Jonathan Greenblatt, um, who said that this is the deadliest attack on the Jewish community in the history of the United States. He goes on to say, unfortunately, this violence occurs at a time when ADL has reported a historic increase in both anti-Semitic incidents and anti-Semitic online harassment. Um, as a representative of ADL uh, in the Connecticut region, uh, what was your response when you heard about what happened in Pittsburgh on Saturday? Well, similar to Jonathan, our CEO, and, and all of us who work at ADL, I was um, shocked and horrified, but not entirely surprised, because we've been tracking incidents for anti-Semitic incidents for close to 40 years, and, and we all know that there's been a meaningful spike over the past few years, and especially between 2016 and 17, and going into this year, we've sort of kept at that same level of reports of these types of incidents to our office. And um, so it's a, a national trend that we've been seeing that has reflected also here in Connecticut. When you talk about the trends being reflected here in Connecticut, can you walk us through some of these incidents? Sure. Um, so many of the incidents, sadly, we see are happening in schools. About half the incidents that get reported are some form of anti-Semitic bullying or uh, taunting or graffiti related to school. Um, and in those cases, um, we handle them uh, along with school leaders and community leaders um, by educating. Um, another troubling concern is, is the, the other kind of incidents we're seeing, which are um, in communities, in parks, in on buildings, um, and actual threats that we've seen, um, that uh, some of which we have to keep confidential, but all of which we record as anti-Semitic incidents, and those, the ones occurring from, you know, adults in our community, um, those are the ones we we are 
less forgiving of. We still take an educational approach, but we know that that's when law enforcement needs to get involved. Uh, Steve, why does ADL believe these uh, anti-Semitic incidents, this online harassment, why has it been increasing? Well, I don't think there's one clear reason, but we are we are seeing over the past few years a meaningful and uh, troubling change in the rhetoric in our politics. Um, it is in some ways fueled by social media, in other ways um, by leaders who are either saying the wrong things or failing to say the right things. Uh, some would point to the words that uh, President Trump has used um, as well. Uh, most recently in this past week, uh, he was speaking uh, to a rally, I believe, in, in Texas, where he proudly declares that he's a nationalist. We'll play that here. You know, they have a word. It sort of became old-fashioned. It's called a nationalist. And I say, really, we're not supposed to use that word. You know what I am? I'm a nationalist, okay? I'm a nationalist. Oh, when those words are spoken, uh, Steve, is that a dog whistle of sorts? It's, to us, it is. Um, and I think that um, to the average American who is following uh, the rise in hate or extremism, that the the word nationalist, you know, the the word usually coming before that is white nationalist, um, and that is a form of white supremacy that we we track and condemn here at at ADL and and so many of us in our community. Um, isn't, that is not a word that we are comfortable with. Um, I think the president was uh, has been clear that globalism is something he sees as an evil, um, and. Globalism is something that um, that the Jewish community has been uh, accused of. George Soros often being called a globalist, um, and and we see globalist as um, a dog whistle of sorts to call to uh, promote anti-Semitic ideology. Uh, and so, nationalist as the counter to that, um, you know, we all love our country, we all love the United States, and want it to be strong and proud. Um, but that doesn't mean we need to call ourselves nationalists. And frankly, I, um, I, have, I worked years ago in the former Yugoslavia and Bosnia where nationalism led to years of, of conflict and violent conflict. And, and just when I hear that word, I, I personally um, react very negatively to it. Steve Ginsburg is director of the Anti-Defamation League in the Connecticut region. This is where we live. As we take this hour to reflect on what happened in Pittsburgh and what's been happening uh, over the last few years uh, where there is an increase in hate crimes, an increase in hateful rhetoric, you can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. Steve, you were talking about uh, the Jewish community, and uh, this shooter in Pittsburgh made a point to target the Tree of Life synagogue in the Squirrel Hill neighborhood because of their affiliation with the Jewish nonprofit known as Hyas. Before uh, Saturday, uh, many, maybe many of us had not heard of this organization. What can you tell us about them? Yeah, so Hyas uh, has been around helping refugees resettle for, I think, around 130-some years. Um, obviously, for me- many of those years, they were focused on resettling Jewish refugees around the world. Um, and in more recent decades, uh, have shifted to a broader, uh, f- a broader focus and taking that um, their skills and resources to um, help non-Jewish people resettle in new, safer places. Um, 
We at ADL work very closely with Hyas. In fact, our CEO, Jonathan Greenblatt, and the head of Hyas took uh, a mission to uh, the United States southern border um, and to Mexico to see what was going on on our southern border um, just about a month or two ago. Um, and the work that they do is very important. And I, the thing I want to mention with respect to Mr. Bauer's social media posts about Hyas is it is not uncommon for white supremacists to um, take a very strong anti-immigrant stance and to then take the next step if they're anti-Semitic and blame Jews for the immigration quote-unquote crisis. Uh, you mentioned Mr. Bowers. That would be the shooter, Robert Bowers, who's been yeah. charged with 29 uh, federal counts, also um, a hate crime as well. And when we talk about a uh, response here in, in Connecticut, uh, Steve, uh, what have you been hearing from Jewish members of our communities uh, about what they should do, uh, whether they feel unsafe now going to their local synagogue? Well, you know, t- yesterday was a very... Um, important response day for our community and frankly um, the beautiful part about it was the outpouring of support from non-Jewish communities from across Connecticut. There were vigils at temples and Jewish community centers across our state and the turnout was just uh, really heartwarming. Um, people are, are, are reasonably afraid. Um, they were scared to take their kids to to religious school on Sunday, um, but when they see the support from law enforcement and from the rest of the community, they they know that they're um, that uh, they need to keep moving forward with their lives, and we can't we can't uh, we can't just back off uh, celebrating our religion and and sort of celebrating America. So they they're looking for guidance on how to keep their synagogue safe, their Jewish institution safe, but they they need to keep going. And seeing them full yesterday was was really um, heartening. Uh, we mentioned President Trump. Uh, he was asked whether uh, America's gun culture is responsible mm-hmm. for what happened in Pittsburgh. Uh, he pushed that aside, um, instead emphasizing that if this Tree of Life synagogue had uh, a stronger security, there would have been a different outcome. Um, what is your response uh, to what he said? Because um, you mentioned that you know we don't want to be locking our doors every mm-hmm. single day, but uh, we live in this reality now where people don't know uh, when they'll become a target. Uh, so my reaction to that is that we, we need to find a, a good balance. Um, we need to make sure that our houses of worship, synagogues, mosques, churches are welcoming places for the stranger um, and that people can, can um, freely come and uh, be accepted. Um, yet we also need to make sure that all of these houses of worship, synagogues and others, have the right security procedures in place. We've seen, not just at synagogues, but over the past couple of years, churches, mosques, the, the Sikh temple in, in, in Oak Creek, Wisconsin years ago. This hap- houses of worship are targets, and we need to make sure that they are working with local law enforcement and private security to come up with whatever is the reasonable plan for their particular community. Um, that might involve, in certain situations, a police presence, it might involve private security. It might involve, at other times, just a security uh, a guard at the door. Um, we're going to need to take a real close look. And, um, but I do not believe that we need to arm people 
or, multi, or turn synagogues into armed camps. That is not the ADL's position on this. I wanted to go back to something you said, Steve, earlier about when we're seeing incidents of anti-Semitism um, in local schools, whether it be graffiti or a passing comment. Um, now that this has happened in Pittsburgh, you know, what is your advice to both educators and parents about the words children should use, the way we should communicate with each other? Well, at, at ADL, we've been taught telling people that words matter for a very long time. Um, we run hundreds of programs here in Connecticut every year under our World, a World of Difference Institutes um, for educators and students. And we, we talk to those students about bias. That is the underlying sense of all of our programs. And then we teach them about empathy and kindness and how they can be someone who stands up for someone else rather than a bystander and someone who was the the bully can can turn into an ally for someone else. Um, we we think that it's a tough time to be a kid going through these situations in our country, um, and we need to at, right now we need to just comfort them and let them express how they're feeling, um, and then provide them with an age appropriate level of history and perspective and the right steps to take. Um, the words that kids use in social media, the words that they use with their friends in the hallway at school, um, they need to be feel free to express themselves, but they also need to understand how their words can land with someone else. So, well, I want to thank Steve Ginsburg again, director of the Anti-Defamation League for the Connecticut region, for joining us uh, on here on Where We Live. Steve, thank you. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Again, we're taking uh, today's show to reflect on what happened in Pittsburgh and to find out what conversations you're having within your communities. Coming up, we're going to hear from two faith leaders, and we'll take your calls as well. Here's the number, 860-275-7266. As always, find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nopithanchel from Connecticut Public Radio. Churches, synagogues, mosques, and temples, they're all houses of worship that can serve as a refuge from everyday troubles, a place to pray and share community. But even this feeling of safety inside these sanctuaries has been shattered time and time again. You can go back to 1963 when four little black girls died at Third Baptist Church in Birmingham when it was bombed. And in recent years, worshipers have died inside a Sikh temple in Wisconsin to Baptist churches in Charleston, South Carolina, and Sunderland Springs, Texas, to now members killed inside their Pittsburgh synagogue. Is tightening security the only solution? We want to hear from you this hour, 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I want to welcome into our conversation now uh, two faith leaders. Uh, first, Rabbi Deborah Cantor. She's a rabbi at B'nai Tikva Shalom on the Bloomfield West Hartford, Connecticut line, also founder of the Neshama Center for Lifelong Learning. Rabbi Cantor, welcome to our show. Thanks so much. 
Also with us is Dr. Reza Mansour. Uh, during the day, he's a cardiologist, but he's also founding president of the Muslim Coalition of Connecticut and president of the Islamic Association of Greater Hartford in Berlin, Connecticut. Uh, Dr. Mansour, welcome to, back to our show. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you for having me. I, I want to start with you, uh, Rabbi Cantor, uh, about uh, when you heard the news um, on Saturday, which is a day of prayer uh, in your faith. Right. So we were in services uh, when this uh, massacre was happening. We had no idea. And it wasn't until we were cleaning up from our uh, lunch that we share after after services every Saturday morning, uh, I was uh, in the social hall and somebody uh, ran in from the kitchen and said, uh, Rabbi, I know this is uh, not Shabbat appropriate because uh, we usually try to disconnect from social media and from our phones. But I just got this alert on my phone and uh, and and told me, and I had a visceral reaction. I, I literally began to shake, and we were we were so shaken up, and uh, we couldn't leave the synagogue. We just we kind of huddled together and tried to piece together with the news reports what was going on and what had happened. Uh, and I think as Steve Ginsburg uh, just said, it was horrible and it was terrifying, but it wasn't surprising. It was a week, it was, it capped off a week of uh, terrible news of, you know, hate crime in, uh, in Kentucky where, uh, Another uh, white nationalist uh, terrorist uh, had tried to enter a black church and uh, denied entry, had just gone to a grocery store and murdered two African-Americans shopping for food. Uh, and uh, a week in which, I don't know, 12 or uh, 12 pipe bombs were sent to people who had criticized the president. I mean, this is the kind of world we're living in. And daily, there is vitriol and hate being spewed at political realities. And, uh, you know, the president is, uh, you know, at the top of the, of the, of the, uh, of the, uh, you know, of the, of, of the chain here of uh, spewing this kind of language. Language, words have power. In Hebrew, there's only one word for both those things, davar, word and thing. A word leads to action. And in this case, there's an, an inevitability uh, when, you, uh, when you say over and over again that pe when you demonize people every day, when you say over and over again that immigrants, that refugees, that strangers – uh, our murderers and rapists, that they're coming to destroy us, that they're at our borders, that they're within our cities, that they're here, that you inflame people. And this is what happens. We heard um, through media reports, um, through um, something that even Steve Ginsburg alluded to, is that um, this shooter in Pittsburgh, the reason he chose this particular synagogue uh, in this uh, uh, in this community in uh, Pittsburgh, which is a, a large Jewish community, um, that they were affiliated, they were doing work, mm -hmm. or they were representing, um, of having a partnership with this organization. Highest, this is something that, that your synagogue as well um, has a partnership with to welcome right. uh, the stranger, the refugee. Did it make you 
anxious. Oh my, yes. It w- that was a that was another chilling aspect of this. Um, the the uh, the man who did this massacre looked on. He's been following Hyas uh, because he sees uh, a connection between uh, helping refugees and Jews. Uh, and he's been following uh, Hyas, and he looked on their website, knowing that there was uh, this national refugee Shabbat, uh, and there was a list of congregations uh, participating in that. And he found this Tree of Life synagogue. That's you know that's the congregation that had participated in this in Pittsburgh. Well, we are on that list also because the week before we had also uh, participated in uh, refugee national refugee Shabbat. We are very active with Hyas on the front of our lawn, actually on the most prominent uh, corner of uh, of our property, right on the corner where, where there's a three-way stop sign where people can see it. Uh, there's a big banner, and it says, Our People Were Refugees Too. And everybody sees that banner. We get calls from time to time from people who stop at that corner, Jews, everybody, and they say, thank you for putting that banner up. We put it up in the wake of the Muslim ban uh, in the winter of, early in the winter of 2016. And we're proud to have that banner up. Our, Our board voted unanimously to put up that banner. And I thought to myself, oh my God, we're targets. We're on that list. We have that banner. We ordered that banner from Hyas. And uh, and now we're out there, and and we're not taking down that banner. We're just not taking it down. You're hearing uh, Rabbi Deborah Cantor again. She's Rabbi at B'nai Tikva Shalom on the Bloomfield West Hartford, Connecticut line. Also in studio with us is Dr. Reza Mansour. Where were you when you heard about what happened in Pittsburgh and among your community, your faith community? How are you talking about this? I was actually taking a break from my community to go visit my son in D.C. who's studying in D.C. And uh, we had the conversation with our family instead of the whole community. But I understand that at the same time, my community was consulting me on letters that they wanted to put up to stand up in solidarity. But before I go any further, I want to express my profound uh, heartfelt condolence to uh, not only the victims and the families, but to the whole Jewish community, hearing my sister, uh, Deborah Cantor, say those words of, uh, gives me chills. Why should a faith community uh, have to go through this kind of fear just to go worship? God. I mean, this is a fundamental right that we have in America. It uh, it really hurts our feelings to know, and I want Deborah to know that as a Muslim community, we stand hand in hand with you, and we will do whatever is needed. I just uh, last night convened uh, the Interfaith Task Force, which is Jews, Muslims, and Christians working together, and this was started after the rhetoric of 2016. This election was horrendous. The as Deborah said, words have meaning. I mean, some of the things that the president have said have directly resulted in this kind of hate, and we have to call it out. There's a vacuum of moral leadership from the president, and the faith communities need to take the task on, and we have to make this the the sentinel event that makes us work together, work together stronger to uh, say never again, never again will we allow any faith community to be targeted. You know, I referenced uh, past uh, uh, mass shootings in other places of worship, and 
you know, the one that happened almost a year, uh, and it'll in a couple of weeks, be the one in Sunderland uh, Springs, Texas. And yeah. Do you feel like we're at this point, uh, Dr. Mansour, and I'd be curious also for your thoughts, Rabbi Cantor, that these events happen and we get upset and there is a feeling of community and then we have to move on with our everyday and then something else happens and it's the same, it's repeated again and again and again. It seems that what, way. What can change? You know, it seems that way. I think political leadership needs to take a moral and a stronger stand. There's equivocation by politicians. One day they say something, the next day they say, uh, you know what, it's it's okay. Um, you know, the president did it. He very strongly condemned the pipe bombings, and then the next day he was, you know, equivocating. You can't be that equivocating leader. I think the faith communities have to stand together and say, no, we won't allow this. We need to work together. And in the in the greater Hartford area, frankly, we've been doing this for many, many years. Uh, Deborah has partnered with me, with my wife in uh, standing up together, standing up at vigils, standing up, working in panels like this, talking about the the need to work together. I mean, the differences are minute compared to the uh, things we have in common as faith communities. We have so much more in common and so much more that we have to work on, to work on the issues of the poor, the immigration issue. And this is why the Jewish community was uh, was picked on. But this is, you know, the, if you look at the, the, the way the president talks of this rhetoric and lies about it, about the Mexicans having Middle Easterners, he's alluding to Muslims coming into this country. And that's deeply hurtful to Muslims. You know, he has also spoken about it at his rallies, the Muslim ban, Islam hates us. This is not true. I feel I feel a cringe when I think about why I came to America as a you know, I came as a as an immigrant, but my medical school in Sri Lanka was blown up as part of a civil war that was started by a leader very similar to President Trump, who brought up this whole Buddhist nationalism but called it nationalism. But it was clearly Buddhist nationalism, and therefore there was a civil war that lasted for 25 years. 100,000 people died, and there were so many consequences of this, including my medical school being blown up. And I'm so grateful to this nation for having allowed me to continue my education, to practice as a physician, and now I work in the greater Hartford area, giving back as much as I can to the community. Muslims are part of the fabric, as are the Jewish as is the Jewish community, part of the fabric of this beautiful nation, and we need to really celebrate our diversity, and that's what's lacking. I think there's two points here. One is that we have very short memories. You know, there's a 24-hour news cycle, and whether we're talking about um, violence uh, in 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 a church or a synagogue or a mosque or where they're talking about in a movie theater, you know, one of the things that happens is we get all excited about something and then the news cycle moves on and we forget all about it. Um, uh, that's just that's just one that's just one aspect of it. Another aspect is that this part of this is gun violence. Right. One part of this is the the hateful rhetoric that stirs this all up. But another part is the gun violence that plagues our country. And if I hear another politician offer, you know, thoughts and prayers, I, I don't know. I find it nauseating when they offer thoughts and prayers because I, because and, and refuse to do anything, anything substantive to address any any kind of sensible uh 
sensible uh, legislation, anything to, to offer safe, more safety, sensible, you know, safety measures that could be taken even in the manufacture of guns. There's no, you know, everything is, uh, you know, the... Uh, to, uh, obeisance to the to the NRA and no thought of what would keep our children safer, what would keep our nation safer. So 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 this worship of guns in our country, which is a kind of sickness, uh, the refusal of our government to even allow the CDC to study guns as uh, as a cause of uh, of death. In our country, so that's so that's one thing is that in, in that uh, embedded in all this is uh, is gun violence. Uh, the other thing is that we look at a crisis like this, and everybody beautifully came together yesterday in this in this community all over the state of Connecticut, all over the nation. Um, yesterday, I was not at the vigil in in West Hartford where, where so many people came together because I was at another event uh, in Farmington. I spoke at an event, How in God's Name Do We Talk to Each Other, which we had actually uh, scheduled six months ago, not knowing, of course, what would, you know, that this would be happening in the wake of uh, the horrible events of Saturday. Um, I came in before the event started. I, so many people hugged me, people I've been working with for years, people I didn't know. And and you know just the feeling, just walking into the into the room, and there were well over a hundred people there, all of us wanting to figure out how do we build relationships, because the most important thing I think is not only how we gather together after these terrible things happen, but how do we build relationships over time. How do we work together over time? How do, as, uh, how do we, as the Quran puts it, come to know one another in our diversity? You know, Reza and I have known each other for years. <laughs> and and uh, his wife and I, Ida and I, worked together. We taught uh, with, a, with a Christian colleague. We taught religion together in a in a school for uh, middle school boys uh, from underserved uh, community, uh, from underserved families in Hartford. We taught religion together for six years. You know, we have longstanding, deep relationships. That's how we build something. We come to know one, one another and appreciate one another and work together. And then when these things happen, we're there for one another. This is where we live. Uh, Rabbi Deborah Cantor is here from B'nai Tikva Shalom on the Bloomfield West Hartford line. Also, Dr. Reza uh, Mansour, president of the Islamic Association of Greater Hartford. Uh, we want to hear from you, too. The number 860-275-7266. I'm going to take some calls now. Uh, Sarah's calling from Washington, D.C. Uh, Sarah's actually a Connecticut resident, uh, and we wanted to talk with you about some of the security measures your particular synagogue have taken, Sarah. Hi. Um, thank you for taking my call. Um, so we, last year, our synagogue started um, raising money to increase security um, and improving our, our security systems. But one of the things that we always do is whenever there's a large um, event at the synagogue, like a bar mitzvah or the high holy days or any, you know, any sort of major event at the synagogue, they always hire um, licensed armed security guards. 
Um, and I, we got an email from the president of our synagogue um, yesterday saying that the Stanford Police Department is going to provide additional patrols um, of our synagogue as well as the other ones in the JCC. Um, I previously lived in, in Europe, uh, in England, and the synagogue I went to there, there was always, every Shabbat, there was an armed guard outside the synagogue. Um, and it's sad that we are now at the place in the United States where we're getting to that, too. Well, I wanted to ask you, uh, Sarah, um, with our earlier conversation with the uh, Steve Ginsburg with the ADL in Connecticut, also um, reflecting on what uh, President Trump said about um, if the synagogue in Pittsburgh had had uh, greater security or protection, uh, the, the situation may have been different. Um, as a member of, of a Jewish synagogue, uh, beyond uh, security at high holidays, is this something that you think is necessary every week? Or how do you and your membership feel safe again going to your uh, local synagogue? I think the most important, well, first of all, what President Trump did was was so typical was blame the victims. And we've seen this before, um, you know, blame the Jews for their own um, martyrdom. Um, so that was that was really disturbing. Um, you, you don't want your synagogue to be a place where people feel like they can't come and have it be, you know, open to the stranger. Um, I think the most important thing that we can do to feel safe is have our um, all of our politicians and all of our, quote, nice neighbors who were willing to turn a blind eye to this hate rhetoric that has been going on for several years now. Um, I used to write for Connecticut News Junkie, and I wrote several columns about going back to December 2015. Um, my first, The first one I wrote was... Um, talking about how now is the time it, it was now is the time for moral courage politicians can't be bystanders to hate speech and i wrote several columns after that and at one point i even called jr um, romano the head of the connecticut gop and was begging him to say something and he would not um and that is the most disturbing thing to me is when i see my you know nice neighbors who are willing to turn a blind eye to all the rhetoric that is happening um, and because they have some other objective, like getting a tax cut. or We cannot do that. Mm -hmm. um, Twelve years ago, uh, I was the docent, or I was one of the docents when the Anne Frank A History for Our Time exhibit came to Greenwich High School, and one of the most important things that we tried to get through to the kids who came through was that Hitler didn't come into power and create Auschwitz right away. It was gradual and insidious. And he started off targeting the most, um, you know, the minority groups. And when that didn't meet protest, it became easier to move on to the next step. And that's why we, you know, Jewish communities have been so, um, you know, at, at some of the forefront of um, protesting against the, mu the Muslim ban, because we know the consequences of this. Well, Sarah, thank you for calling in today here on Where We Live. Uh, the number, 860-275-7266. Cassandra's calling from Simsbury. Cassandra, go ahead. Hi. I just wanted to say um, that our son lives a block from uh, Tree of Life Synagogue, and he called on Saturday morning frantic because uh, they were – 
look at, he was looking out the window with uh, police and sirens and SWAT teams. And I just wanted to respond to your comments about the community. Squirrel Hill, if you've never been there, is one of the most amazing communities, and he chose to live in Squirrel Hill while at Carnegie Mellon. It's a place where Christians and Jews and Muslims live together and love together, and um, the prayer vigil on Saturday night was at 6th Presbyterian, and he called again, and he, he said, Mom, there are thousands of people in the street below my apartment with candles. And so I just wanted to say how um, it it's really shaken him, and he's a Christian, and it's shaken us, and we're Christians, but we are all children of God. And this um, model that Squirrel Hill has for the, the definition of community is what the world needs to live by. And that's all I wanted to say. Thank you, Cassandra, for calling in, and, and we're glad to hear that your son is safe. Uh, this is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Our studio guests uh, today are Dr. Reza Mansour, who is president of the Islamic Association of Greater Hartford in Berlin, and Rabbi Deborah Cantor, who's rabbi at B'nai Tikva Shalom on the Bloomfield West Hartford line. I wanted to go back to you, Dr. Mansour, because we've been talking a lot about security and whether uh, there needs to be more security for uh, people of all faith traditions to feel safe. We cannot forget what happened in Meriden just a few years ago when that mosque there was <sighs> shot up because of uh, someone uh, who has since disavowed uh, um, having these uh, feelings, these hateful feelings towards Muslims. But uh, moving forward, and I'm, you know, what happens now with the mosques and other uh, houses of worship um, is the feeling that you will need to have more of a police presence or uh, more security uh, at these places. Well, we do work with the police and with law enforcement to try to do whatever we can to make sure that our communities are safe. But think about what the president said. Number one, it's so callous to say, to blame the victim. It's really, it's it's callous to, to blame a community that has just lost 11 people and have had so many injured to say that fault because they didn't have a security guard. And see, think about how impractical it is for every house of worship to have a security guard with presumably armed when the police themselves are telling us that the best thing is not to have an armed person in the mosques because I've been to these training courses with mm -hmm. the police, with law enforcement, with the FBI, and they say, no, don't have an armed person. That's not the best thing. So, you know, he doesn't even know what he's talking about. But number one, it's impractical. Number two, it's it's uh, it, it just I mean you go to these places of worship to be in peace and in serenity and to have armed guards and guards. I mean it's like a fortress. Can do you go to a fortress to pray? No, you go to a place where you feel welcomed. You can trust each other. That's the kind of environment that you need to be able to communicate with your Creator. You know this is the most. Um, loving place that it should be and to make it into a fortress is just unbelievable yes we work with law enforcement but this is not the solution as deborah said and several people have said you know gun control needs to happen and you can't just keep blaming the victim and you know happily living with your npr uh, with your national rifle association uh you know 
donations. It's 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 just uh, it needs to end. Well, Rabbi Cantor, um, we're going to have to go to break uh, pretty soon. But um, just practically hearing from your members, do they want to see more security? Well, I think I, I, I sent out a um, an email to my members, uh, quite a long email on Saturday night. And one of the things that I said right away is that uh, we had been in touch with the police, and the police have been. Uh, we're on the, as you mentioned, you keep mentioning we're on the West Hartford Bloomfield line, and so we have do, two police forces, uh, you know, which help us out, and um, uh, they've always been helpful. They 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 patrol extra times on high holidays, and whenever there's any kind of question or threat, um, so so we have lo- we have a long uh, and close relationship with them. Um, and I said, look, we have to be, we have to keep this, the con- the doors locked at all times. Uh, we're going to have to, you know, be in the lobby and uh, we're going to have to be a little bit more careful. But no, we also, we're not going to be a locked fortress. There's a reason we call it a sanctuary. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathancher. We're going to go right to a, a short break. But first, uh, Facebook's often the place people go after tragedies to share the reaction or to seek support among their community of friends. Uh, West Hartford resident Diane Kadrain shared a video on her Facebook wall uh, over the weekend. Uh, the video was of her daughter-in-law, Alana Arian, singing her new melody to the ancient Jewish prayer for peace. Here's Alana singing with her wife, West Hartford native, and cantor Julia Kadrain at the Central Synagogue of Manhattan just last month.
This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we're taking time to reflect on the tragedy in Pittsburgh when a shooter walked into a synagogue on Saturday morning, killed 11 people, leaving several others wounded. Um, we heard from a caller whose son uh, lives in Squirrel Hill and talked about that community. Uh, it's a community that I know well, of having Pittsburgh roots. And uh, Rabbi Cantor just reminded me that Squirrel Hill is Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Uh, I wanted to go back to our in-studio guests again, uh, Rabbi Deborah Cantor and also Dr. Reza Mansour. Um, we've been hearing from some members of our community. Again, uh, I'm curious uh, to talk, if you could talk about the efforts uh, within the interfaith communities, again, to engage uh, community members, and how do, you, uh, how do you anticipate moving forward now from this, Reza? Well, so we founded the Muslim Coalition of Connecticut about 15 years ago because we felt that although the mosques do interfaith at a different level, the the Muslim coalition was meant, organized to actually do interfaith together, live our faith together, work together uh, in community relations. So we worked with many rabbis, including Deborah Cantor, but Rabbi Brockman, Rabbi Pincus, many rabbis in, in the greater Hartford area uh, where the Muslim coalition started. And we worked on habitat builds together. We worked on serving in soup kitchens together. We walked against hunger together. It was a, it's a beautiful relationship that we developed, and we continue to work on it. Um, with the 2016 whole event, the natural thing for us to do when we felt threatened was to work with our, our interfaith partners. And so we formed this interfaith task force so that we can address these crises as they come up. And we knew there would be, because as Deborah Cantor said, words lead to actions. Unfortunately, the words that come out of politicians, uh, you know, they have the bully pulpit and they can make uh, these words into whatever they want. And there is a vacuum in moral leadership from these words. And so the faith communities knew that we had to work with each other now. And so we've been doing lots of things together on panels together, uh, the Muslim Coalition of Connecticut working with the uh, Connecticut Council for Interreligious Understanding and mm -hmm. the Hartford Seminary have an honest uh, conversations program which have gone to many synagogues and churches where there's a Muslim panel that will answer any questions that you have because the fear of Islam and Arabic words was getting out of control. And so we work in partnership with our faith communities to try to live our faith as much as we can. I wanted to, to fit in a quick call. Fred's calling from Vernon. Fred, go ahead. We have one minute to go. Hi. I was wondering if your guests would take the approach that I've seen some people in Pittsburgh say, which is to keep the president at arm's length uh, until he disavows neo-Nazism or white nationalism. Uh, I get that the president is cynical and probably doesn't believe any of this, but traditionally at times like this, the president, whoever's in the office, has been the focus of healing. And is it a good idea, in their opinion, to keep them at arm's length here? Uh, Fred, good question. I'm going to give that to Rabbi Cantor. <laughs> um, I haven't seen the president demonstrate much power of healing, uh, whether he's throwing um, uh, paper towels at uh, victims of hurricanes or um, or speaking to uh, people after neo-Nazi marches in Charlottesville. So... Um, though I would hope he would rise to uh, an occasion uh, and bring some comfort and um, uplift and inspiration, um, I, I haven't seen that demonstrated so far. One can only hope. 
Uh, Rabbi Cantor, we brought this up earlier about how to talk about um, the words uh, people use, they use, and uh, it can begin at a young age, and uh, there's conversation that need to happen within the schools. Uh, but how would you um, offer advice uh, to parents, to educators about um, talking about this? Because uh, so often everything is politically charged, and there may be hesitance sometimes uh, to talk about this in the classroom, uh, not wanting to be negative towards the President of the United States, but uh, facts are facts. You know what? I, I don't I don't think with little kids that I would talk about the president. I don't think he's a terrific role model for children and other people. I think what I would talk about is what I talk about to children and adults. I talk about uh, my deeply held values as a person of faith, which uh, are the deeply held values that are shared by most people of faith and people of, of uh, no faith. Uh, the values of peace, of justice, of, um, of, of treating people with kindness, of welcoming, uh, of welcoming strangers. Uh, that's, uh, uh, that's what I spoke about yesterday in the synagogue, uh, about our Abrahamic, um, our Abrahamic uh, legacy of welcoming strangers, of refugees, uh, when, when Abraham welcomes those dusty travelers, dusty, disreputable-looking uh, travelers, and runs to greet them and wash their feet and feed them and, uh, and, and have them sit in the shade. So I would talk to them about the things that we really believe. And I also would welcome them into appreciating the diversity of our world. When I was, uh, when I teach our Hebrew school kids about the Jewish calendar, I always read them a book about the Jewish calendar, and then I read them about the Islamic calendar, and I look and I say, "Look, we all, we both have a calendar that's about the moon." Uh, Dr. Mansour, quickly. I just wanted to add when Deborah. Uh, either my wife and um, Susan Susan Izzard did this beautiful project at Covenant Prep School. Um, They taught religion from from all three perspectives, but on how we can work together. And I think that's a beautiful model where we learn about each other with respect uh, about the diversity we have, but with respect and and this feeling of trying to work together to form a community. I think that was a beautiful example. And mutual appreciation. Exactly, and we should be doing more of that. Uh, we'll have to leave it there, but I really appreciate Dr. Reza Mansour, again, as president of the Islamic Association of Greater Hartford, for coming in, and Rabbi Deborah Cantor, uh, Rabbi B'nai Tikva Shalom, on the Bloomfield West Hartford line. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lizzie. Today's show produced by senior producer Lydia Brown. Uh, special thanks to Betsy Kaplan and Kion Wolf. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.